glad that you're uh, joining us. Uh, everyone, take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3. For those of you who um, are new to our church, we start each new year with 21 days of fasting and prayer. Uh, we started last Sunday, and we'll, so we're at the end of the first week. We have morning prayer times at 6 a.m. every morning, Monday through Friday, and then at 9 o'clock on Saturday. If you'd like to join us online, we actually have many, many more watching online. It's amazing to me how many people are, are joining us in prayer. We'll probably have 20 to 25 in the room and another 60 to 70 online uh, joining us in the mornings, which is awesome to join us in prayer where we can agree together as the body of Christ here in this place. If you haven't filled out a prayer card, uh, I'm hoping that everyone has one of these cards or has filled one out. And if you haven't, raise your hand. If you don't have one of these cards, raise your hand. Okay, I know there are more people here today who don't have this card. You're going to need it for later, so get a card. Jack's got them. He's, he's uh, handing them out right now. Uh, we're going to have an opportunity. We pray for these prayer requests every single morning. We go through every one of these prayer requests. We pray for you by name. And so um, please fill one out. I'll give you an opportunity uh, later in the service when we uh, receive our offering for you to fill that out. But join us uh, in the mornings for prayer. A couple more down here, Jack, at the front. Um, it's awesome. Awesome times of prayer. And in this time of prayer and fasting, we are looking at the book of Luke we're actually going to be looking at the book of Luke all the way through the spring. But right now, during this time, we're looking at chapters 3 and 4. Uh, and we've entitled it, Water in the Wilderness. Talking about the baptism of Jesus and then the wilderness experience, his first sermon in Nazareth. And uh, then his rejection by those around him and as he starts to fulfill his public ministry. And in it, we're hoping to see... Oh, oh by the way, I, I want to thank you for your prayers um, last week for all of those who prayed for me and sent pictures to me, uh, places where I could get Kellogg's Raisin Bran. I am very grateful. Uh, your prayers have been answered. My wife finally found, um, and the reason there aren't any in any stores, because like she did, she just bought them all. So um, she heard, God has heard my complaints and has answered your prayers, and I've got what I need to move on in the Lord. <laughs> Let's read this passage, Luke 3, starting in verse 15. We're going to look at the baptism of, of Jesus uh, this morning. Um, Luke 3, verses 15 and following. I'm going to read down through verse 22, 23. Uh, so just follow along either on the screen or in your Bibles. It would be great. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Christ. John answered them, I baptize you with water, but one more powerful than I will come, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and preached the good news to them. But when John rebuked Herod, the Tetrarch, because of Herodias, the brothers, his brother's wife, and all the other evil things he had done, 
Herod added this to them all. He locked John up in prison. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. This baptism experience. I, I, I know if you've been in church very long, you know the story so well, where John, Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, has gone out baptizing. And from all reports, the, the preaching of John... Now, remember, in these days, for people to go see John the Baptist, you had to be committed to go see him. I mean, it wasn't like you were going to drive. There was no online church where you could just zip in and see John out by the river baptizing people and kind of distantly watch what he was doing. I mean, Jerusalem was a number of miles from the Jordan River. It's not extensively far, but it's far enough that if you had to walk it and it's hilly, uh, it's, it's not an easy journey. Many reports estimate that some 300,000 people at some point went to hear John preach. Huge, I mean... That's a huge number for the day, if indeed that report is accurate. And he was preaching a baptism of repentance. He was preaching, hey, you're going the wrong direction. Things are bad. In, the nation of Israel is out of line. You need to change your heart, change your mind, get away from your sin, be baptized. You need to repent. That was his baptism. And he was so popular that people were looking at John and thinking, hey, maybe this guy is the Messiah. Maybe this guy is the, the Christ, the anointed one, the one we've been waiting for. I mean, look at all the people he's attracting and how powerful his preaching is. I mean, he's got a gift. He's got a powerful gift. And when they did, John said, look, there's one coming. I'm the, I'm the one preparing the way. There's one coming after me whose sandals I'm not even worthy to unlace. I'm not, I'm not worthy to take off his running shoes. I'm not, I'm not worthy to, to get in. I mean, he's so much more. He's going to baptize. I'm baptizing you with water. But he's coming to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now, by the way, there are seven references into the New Testament of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we believe, we're, we're a church where we believe that the Spirit of God still moves. We believe that the Holy Spirit still comes and infills us and indwells us. And, and we believe that he does, he gives gifts. And we believe that all the gifts of the Spirit are available today for the building up of the body of, body of Christ. But the, the term baptism of the Holy Spirit has been co-opted in some other ways because these seven instances, of the seven instances where the term baptism of the Holy Spirit is used, six of them are almost identical to this saying that Jesus comes to baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire, which has all these connotations to it about the Holy Spirit coming and the fire. There's no doubt the fire is part of the judgment of God coming. The winnowing fork is in his hand. He's going to burn up uh, the chaff. I mean, it's right. In case you wonder of the interpretation, it's right there for you, right after the seventh has to do with that famous passage about one baptism that Paul writes about. All of that to say, 
We believe in the infilling and empowering of the Holy Spirit, which comes as a result of Jesus coming into the earth. The church is born on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2 when the Holy Spirit comes on them like tongues of what? Fire. There's always that analogy that, that's there with the Holy Spirit. It's, as he comes, gifts are released. The church is born. Uh, here's, our, here's our belief in this place. We believe that Jesus Christ is the Word made flesh. We believe that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is the Word made flesh, and we believe in the person and work of the Holy Spirit in our lives today. We believe that the Word of God, the Bible, is made real in the person of Jesus so that we can follow after him, and we do it how? By the power of the Holy Spirit who indwells us. I want to talk about that a little bit today because this is good news. This gospel, the word gospel means good news. And I want to talk about this baptism of the Holy Spirit with fire, the water baptism that Jesus enters, why he even goes to be baptized. So let's look at that together just for a moment as we go go through this passage. I want to just walk us through it with some points. The first is this. The gospel is good news. Good news. Here's what it says. Again, verses 15 through 22. Let me read it to you again. And notice the good news here and see if you think it's good news or not. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Christ. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one more powerful than I will come, the thongs of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Phrase we just looked at just for a second. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. I don't know about you, but this doesn't sound like good news to me. Right? I mean, if you think about it, He's coming, he's going to baptize you with fire and with the Holy Spirit. His winnowing fork, this is an agricultural term where he's going to get the bad stuff out and he's going to burn it up with fire. Now the question is, is it stuff just in us or is it people in general? In other words, is this a message to the nation of Israel that, hey, God is done. God's done with this old system God is done with this old way of doing things. It's obviously not working out. And the Messiah is going to come. And when he does, he's going to separate the wheat, the productive, the fruitful from the chaff, the unfruitful, the unproductive. And the unproductive, unfruitful, he's going to burn up in the fire. Or is he talking about the stuff in your own heart, the stuff in your own life that he's going to burn up, that, He's going to be able, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, when the gospel is released in your life, the, the things that aren't productive and the things that aren't good, that chaff is going to be burned up. Which is it? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think it's all of the above, really. I think he's really talking about the nation of Israel and that system. But at the same time, he's also talking about the stuff in our hearts and in our lives. And by the way, if you don't think he's talking about the nation of Israel, go read about the vines and the branches and how he's going to cut off that which is unfruitful, Jesus, in Jesus' words, and going to burn it up in the fire, and God's going to do it, and those that are productive, he's going to cut back. So he's talking about 
personal again and corporate. But so far, it doesn't really sound like good news, does it? goes on and says this, and with many other words, John exhorted the people and preached, and here's the phrase, the gospel, the good news. He's exhorting them. He's preaching the good news. Well, what is the good news? The good news is that Jesus is coming. The one whose sandals I'm not even worthy to un unload, he's coming. He's not here yet, but he's coming. In December of um, 19... 1989, a long time ago, Kathy and I were sitting in our apartment uh, in Arlington, Texas. Um, she was teaching uh, in the Arlington School District. Uh, I was, by the way, doesn't Kathy do an unbelievable job at these baby dedications? I'm, I'm so blessed. I get choked. She gets choked up every single time. Uh, I had someone say one time, if you don't cry at my baby's baby dedication, then I'm going to be really upset. But she gets soaked up every time just because she sees the purpose in the hand of God. She prays for them. And I'm so blessed to be married to a praying godly wife. Just sheer dumb luck on my part. And the hand of God had moved that uh, I married so far over my head. But we've been married for about a year and a half. We were about both were 30 years of age when we got married. Um, so for those of you who are in your late 20s and you're not married yet, hold out hope because there's someone like me waiting for you. No, I'm just <laughs> someone like her waiting for you right around the corner. So it was the beginning of December 1989, and we were in our apartment in Fort Worth. She sat me down. We just had dinner and talking, and she presented me with a gift. And I'm like, oh, you know December's a great month. It's Christmas. It's my birthday. I just had my birthday in December. So maybe this is an early birthday present, early Christmas present. I don't know. So I unwrapped this gift, and it's one of those hallmark, precious moment figurines. Now, I was a music major in college, but I'm not really a hallmark figurine kind of guy, if you know what I mean. It's just not really the stuff I kind of, I kind of collected. And so... Clueless me, I just opened this Hallmark figurine, and it, it says on it, names for baby. I am so stupid that it took me like, it took me like minutes. You know, I'm just sitting there like, huh, thank you for the... It was her way of announcing to me, of course, that she was pregnant, and uh, we were expecting our first son, Jared, who's now 31 it was, it was good news. I mean, we celebrated. It was the coming of good news. I mean, she was expecting, but he wasn't here yet. And I got to tell you, those next eight months or so seemed like the longest eight months of my life. You know, we got that what, what to expect when you're expecting book. You know that book, that what to expect where you have one chapter? We'd read the chapter every, all the time, and I just feel like the time is never going to going to come. Now, needless to say, I've got quite a collection of these figurines now. Um, so uh, God blessed us in so many <laughs> I would see another, oh, here comes another figurine kind of thing. God blessed us in so many different ways, but it was always good news. Always. Jesus is, Jesus is here. Jesus is coming, John is proclaiming. And this coming of the Christ, the coming of this one, 
is good news. Now, here, here's the second point I want you to see about uh, this time. The gospel is all about Jesus. Now, this is really critical. This is where I'm going to spend the most of my time, and I'm going to try not to dwell too long here. But I want us to see that the good news is about Jesus. John answered them, verse 16, I baptize you with water, but one more powerful than I will come, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He's speaking of Jesus. John makes it clear this is not about me. This is about him. This is about, the good news is about him. It goes on and says, when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven saying, you are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. Now, again, try and hear this story like you haven't heard it for a billion times. Try to understand and try to get your, our, our faith minds around the fact that this is the Holy Spirit coming upon the Son and the heavens opening and the Father declaring, this is my Son who am well pleased. I mean, think about it. The heavens opened... And there's a divine proclamation of who Jesus is. It's a remarkable truth. This is not just some mythological story about this guy. I mean, this is either a reality to be believed or it's just a story to be dismissed. You can't just look at it like, you know, it's kind of like, some fictional thing. Because the gospel is about the real person of Jesus. God in human form. Now, why did, why did Jesus go to be baptized? Why did Jesus go to be baptized in the first? What kind of, what kind of baptism was John's baptism, by the way? Again, it was repentance. What did Jesus have to repent of? Nothing. Nothing. But Jesus went into the waters to identify with you and me. He went in to identify with all humanity. And if you wonder if this is the case, the way Luke is framed is this. Right after this, Luke's going to launch into a genealogy of Jesus. He's going to give some 77 names, 11 groups with seven names in each group. And he's going to start with Joseph, the supposed or reported father of Jesus, he says. He makes it clear he was not the father of Jesus, that Jesus is God's son. And then he goes into a genealogy. I said this yesterday morning in prayer, but remember, Matthew's genealogy starts right at the beginning of the book. It's the first thing out of the bat. And it starts with Abraham and goes down to Jesus. And the purpose is to, to show the readers Matthew's purpose, which was that Jesus is Jewish. He was trying to appeal to the Jewish reader that Jesus is the promised one, the Christ. Mark has no genealogy. Mark is a book of action. He just jumps right in, really, to the baptism. 
if I remember right, he starts right off with John's ministry and the baptism of Jesus. No genealogy. He's writing to the Romans who are people of action. They don't care about genealogies. They, what they cared about was somebody getting something done. It's a simplification, but we'll go with that. Luke chapter 3, after the baptism, he starts with Joseph and he goes all the way back. Before I get to that, remember John has no genealogy either because John's purpose in writing is to declare that Jesus is fully God. So hence he starts off with in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. So each of the gospel writers has a different purpose. Luke's is to, to declare the humanity of Christ. God in human form. He's writing to the Greeks and to the others who would, who would wonder about is, is he a God or is he man? And he wants to make it clear that he is linked to humanity. He is the son. But at the same time, the gospel is not the gospel if Jesus is just a God. The gospel, the good news, is about Jesus who set aside, according to Philippians, and came to earth as he humbled himself, came to earth as human humiliated himself and went to the cross on our behalf. The, the gospel is about Jesus. And if you wonder, I'm not going to read the whole genealogy. I tried that yesterday morning and butchered it really good. Um, so I'm not going to do that again. But it ends, it ends in verse 38 with this, as it goes on, the son of so-and-so, the son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. I don't know if you've ever really noticed how it, Adam... See if you can stay with me real quick. I know, I know you can if I say it right. God opens the heavens and said, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Genealogy goes all the way back to Adam, the son of God. Here in this chapter, you have what are the two Adams. The first Adam who came into this world, the son of God. Kind of an interesting phrase for him, isn't it? the Son of God, who fell as a result of sin, his own heart. Sin enters the world. As a result, we're all covered in this sin. It's in us. And Jesus comes, and he enters the, he enters the waters of baptism to identify with us, to say, you all need repenting. And I have come, I think, his statement in doing so is to say, I have come to make things right. What Adam failed to do, I'm coming to undo. I'm going to make it. Now, this is the gospel. This is the good news. That God became fully man, lived a sinless life, went to the cross, which I have behind me, went to the cross in order to die so that your sins could be taken care of. Because you've got no way to get back to Father God, our Creator God, because of the sin problem of your life. It separates you from Him. So Jesus came into the waters, identified with us that we need repentance, we need forgiveness, and then Luke makes it clear, He's fully man. Now, for many people, they're like, well... Is this really fair that I'm being judged because of Adam's sin? Well, yes and no. As usual, I'm going both sides. 
Yes, because God can do what he wants to do. He's God and we're not. On the other hand, you're not near as good as you think you are. As a matter of fact, you're much worse than you think you are. Matter of fact, you're just plum horrible. You know, you've sinned. You've separated yourself from God. We all think we're better than we are, but our sin separates us from him. And according to Romans, it says, now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. There's an accountability. Paul's talking complex theology here about the law, but in, in bottom line terms, he's just saying we're all accountable to God. There is no one. There is, we all stand without excuse before a holy God. But Jesus came in order to set things right, to offer you forgiveness of your sins and a relationship with the living God. It says in Colossians, once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. This is a powerful passage, by the way. It's not just that sin has separated you from God. You're actually an enemy of God because of sin. That's how much he hates sin. You're alienated. You're away from him. You're far from him. And in your own thoughts and behaviors, you're at war with him. He goes on and says, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's what? Physical body. This humanity of Christ is really important. By Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. Hallelujah. I mean, think about that. You can be declared horrible you. And some of you aren't still with me on the horrible you part. But the horrible you can be declared holy and acceptable in God's sight. If you continue in your faith, establish and firm, not move from the hope held out in the what? In the gospel, the good news. Now, we, 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 we too many times think of this gospel in other terms. We think the good news is that, that, that Jesus did something. Now, I got to do something in order to make this good news good news. And if I don't act right, then the good news will be taken from me. The, the, the good news is such good news, you can't hardly believe it. Because God loves you that much. That's how good the gospel is. That you are forgiven of your sins, you're forgiven of your sins, and in the future you're forgiven of your sins. Not because of what you did, but because of what Christ has done for you. This is the gospel you've heard, and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven, and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. This good news, this gospel, this is it. It's Jesus taking the sins of the world on his body, on the cross, in physical form, God on the cross dying for you and me so that we could be forgiven. Now, real quickly, and I could, I could do a whole different sermon on this. I'll try not to because uh, we have a lot of guests here today. But uh, some things the gospel is not. The gospel is not about us. Now, you may be saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. I, you've been really pumping this like I'm forgiven. Yeah, congrats. You are. You are forgiven. But the gospel itself is all about Jesus. You, you are not, and this is hard for us, because I, I, I'm probably like you. Here's me. Here's the universe. Just going around me. You know, it's all about me. It's all about what I, I but no. 
The gospel is about Jesus. It's not about me. Now, I get pulled into this good news. I get to receive this good news. I get the, one of the benefits of God coming is that I get to walk in it and I'm free. But the gospel is about him. Here's why I'm saying this. And I, I don't want to um, talk bad about my other churches because that's not our style in general. But I hear at times a gospel being proclaimed where I'm the center of it. It's all about me. It's all about what happens. I get to be, because I get to be healthy. I get to be wealthy. I get to be, I get to be this. I get to, God's got to do this. I get to, making me the center of the gospel, and I'm not the center. Jesus is. The gospel is not merely belief. Again, I could preach a sermon on each one of these. Maybe I should at some point. It's, it's not merely about intellectual assent. You know, it's not about, you know, some phrase that Jesus is the Lord. The question is this, is Jesus the Lord of your life? Faith is belief plus yourself. It's you receiving Jesus into you so that your sins are forgiven, so that he is the Lord of your life. At times, they have too many people believing a gospel that they believe the stories about Jesus. Yeah, Jesus, he was an incredible birth story, and he, he taught, I love his teachings, and he was a great man, and some bad people put him to death, and you know, they said he rose from the dead. I, yeah, I can handle those. I can handle those stories. I can believe. That's a long gap between that and receiving. Jesus is the one who forgives your sins and leads your life. The gospel is not just about belief. Here, here's one. The gospel is not about cultural transformation. Now somebody's like, well, what, what, why is he going there? Because too often people think, okay, here's, here's what the church is called to do. The church is called to transform the culture around us. I, I think there's a part of that that's true, but that's not the gospel. I mean, if we change the culture without proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ, we have a transformed culture that's still going to hell. That's not, that's not the gospel. That's just some sort of human endeavor to make it better. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't do good deeds, good works, and transform the culture, but why do we do it? Why do we offer a cup of water, according to the New Testament? Anybody want to jump in? We offer a cup of water in the name of Jesus. We offer a cup of water. Now, that may sound like manipulation to you. It's not. I believe it is caring for the culture, but in caring, what is the ultimate care we can give to our culture? It's the proclamation of the good news. You know, you can see someone transformed. You can see somebody made physically well. You can teach people to read. You can do all, you can feed all great things, but if we're not Seeing the gospel proclaimed, are we really accomplishing the purpose of the church? Is the gospel being set forth? Again, I'll move on. Also, the gospel is not a get-out-of-suffering-free card. Again, I could preach on this one a long time. Look, I'd much rather go to heaven than hell. Anybody? I'd much rather be going to heaven than hell. But it's not just about me getting out of hell. It's about me living with God and Jesus now. It's about what the gospel says to me about the life he's given us now. Also, it's not about getting out of suffering for now. 
It's about the good news that is, that is Jesus. By the way, Paul says this, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. My, my contention, one of the reasons I'm hitting this so hard about the water, Jesus' identity as a fully man, fully God, is that too often we in the church start proclaiming a different gospel. It's about something else. It's not about something. It's about Jesus, which is really no gospel at all. When we lose the essence of the good news that Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, came to this earth, died on our behalf, rose from the dead, ascended to the right hand of God the Father, that the Holy Spirit, we've lost the gospel, which really is no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel, again, which makes it no gospel of Christ. All right, third point, final point is this. The gospel demands a response. The gospel, from every single person, at some point, a response has to be, has to be given. It says in um, verse 3, this is about Herod, by the way, but it, it could be about you and me. It says, and with many other words, John exhorted the people and preached the gospel. Good news to them. But when Jesus, uh, John rebuked Herod the Tetrarch because of Herodias, his brother's wife, and the other evil things he had done, Herod added this to them. He locked John up in prison. The, John's proclaiming the gospel, the good news. And in his good news, his gospel of repentance, he uh, speaks out against a, a situation where Herod the Tetrarch is with his brother's wife and it's a mess. He rejects. John gets locked up in prison. By the way, there's so much involved into this passage. You think of everybody. John, he should have been protected, right? I mean, cousin of Jesus, the forerunner, you know, proclaiming. Seems like he shouldn't have ended up with his head lost. That you wouldn't think, oh, that's going to. Look, there's no promise in our proclamation of the gospel that if we do the right thing at the right time, that we're going to end up in this life with the right result from our standpoint. But at the same time, I think it's a, it's a declaration that there will be those who reject the gospel. But the gospel demands some sort of response. Paul says in Romans, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed, and so became the father of many nations, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. We believe in the promises of God, just like Abraham did. Faith is the belief plus ourself in the promises of God. And I'm running a little short on time, so I don't want to go into this too much, but Abraham was told he's going to be the father of many nations, right? Now he's an old dude, and his wife, oh, she's old. Abraham's faith didn't wane. He was fully persuaded that God, his promise was going to be fulfilled. Anyway, saying, well, what does that have to do with anything? Well, Abraham had to continue to sleep with his wife. I mean, in other words, he had to, he had to put himself into the situation where a child could be conceived and a child could be born so that that child of promise could. God may be calling you to do stuff in the midst of the gospel uh, that just seem impossible. 
But that's where faith really comes in. When you come to the end of your natural rope, God is there. God is there to answer your prayer. And it's part of the gospel, but it demands a response. What is the response? Me. I'm the response. Use me. Do with me what you want, O oh God. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Faith. And again, I define faith as belief plus yourself. You putting you into, you choose God moving. So you not only believe, but you believe by taking the steps that God is calling you into. It demands a response. And that response comes, I think, every day. I mean, there is the gospel good news response of believing Jesus Christ as the one who forgives our sins, leads our lives, that initial entry. But it's a, every day, take up my cross and follow him. But it's still good news. And it has to be experienced. I went, to, uh, I went to college in Oklahoma at Oklahoma Baptist University, OBU. Our mascot was the bison, the OBU fighting bison. Um, great music school, loved the, loved the place. So I, many of you know I was a music major in college, so I had to be in a, a singing group as part of my degree program. So I was in what, uh, I was in the Bison Glee Club. The Bison Glee Club. Now, can't you laugh? We were pretty well known in Oklahoma. And uh, so, because we go around and sing at all the Baptist churches uh, that we go. And then every spring break, we go on some tour where we go to a different part of the country, sing in churches. We were, we were like ambassadors for the college where we go and sing and do different stuff. Now, um, what, yeah, I just thought I'd show you a throwback photo. One of these two people is actually me. Uh, we would wear these powder blue tuxes. Remember, this is the late, hey, stop that noise. Remember, this is the late 70s. Most of you weren't even alive, but what was acceptable in the late 70s was not today. This is my roommate, Bob Searle. He's also a pastor now uh, in Oklahoma. Great guy. We were both in Bison Glee Club. And we would go to all these places and sing. And on occasion, we got to see something fun. Most of the time, we actually spent most of our times either at a church or a shopping mall where they were trying to feed us lunch and kill time. But every so often, we travel somewhere and get to see something nice. So in um, uh, the spring of 1979 or so, we actually went to Arizona, and we'd sung in Phoenix, and we were driving, we're going we're gonna to drive by the Grand Canyon. Now, listen to me carefully. We were going to just drive by, and I pitched a holy fit. I mean, really, I was a senior in college by now, and I said, listen, this seems ridiculous to me, that we're not going to see one of the greatest wonders in the United States. And so a couple other people pitched a fit with me, and um, we decided, the director 
decided, okay, we'll, we'll do this. We'll get up at like four in the morning. We'll drive. We'll see the sun rise on the Grand Canyon, and then we'll move. We'll go to our next location. But we got to all leave early. Well, then some other people pitched a fit because they didn't want to get up at four in the morning. But those of us who believe that here am I and here's the universe, uh, we won. And so we actually got to drive and see the sunrise at the Grand Canyon. Now, listen, I, I don't know if you've been to the Grand Canyon or just seen pictures of it, but there is absolutely no picture, no film, no way to experience it other than to go see it. It's one of those things that's so, the majesty of the, the, the miles apart and the miles down is so spectacular that unless you are there physically, you can't. But for those of you who have been there, right now in your mind, you're seeing it again. You're experiencing it again. Now, this pales in comparison to the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news. You can't, you can't from a distance just see it, hear the stories, to really know it, you have to experience the truth, the good news for yourself. And I want to encourage you today, if you haven't done that, walk in it. Or if you've done it before and you've gotten, become distant, it's become cold to you, let it, that's why we do this time of fasting and prayer. Because it helps us burn off the stuff in our lives that gets in the way, the junk, the dirt we pick up on a regular basis, where the good news no longer seems like good news. Paul says in 2 Timothy, and I'm going to close with this. Remember, Jesus Christ raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel for which I am suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. Paul's making it clear. I'm in chains right now. I'm suffering, but I'm proclaiming this gospel. Why? Because God's word is not chained. It can't be. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Jesus Christ with eternal glory. Jesus entered the water to identify with you and me the proclamation of who he is from the Father God and Father the Spirit, I mean, uh, God the Holy Spirit, clearly proclaimed this good news. There is life there. That this good news cannot be chained up. And I want to I encourage you today to either receive if you've never received. And if you have received, go forth unchained. In the freedom to proclaim this incredible good news to the world around us. Lord, we thank you for who you are and what you've done in our lives. And we... We who are followers of Jesus, we who are followers of yours, we pray that, God, we would walk in might and in power and in your presence, that the good news of Jesus Christ would be very real to each and every one of us. We pray this, I pray this morning for those that might be here today that have heard these stories of Jesus but have never given their heart to you, O oh Lord. I pray that the Spirit of God the Holy Spirit and fire, the gospel, the good news would fall on this place today. And that spirit of God, you would draw people to the name of Jesus. 
Lord, I pray that we would be proclaimers of this good news. That we would joyfully walk in what is the greatest news ever. Thank you, Lord. If you're here today and you haven't ever received Jesus, the one who leads your life and forgives your sins, um, you can do that. We'd love to talk with you and pray with you about it on either the prayer card that we handed out or there's a connection card in the seat back in front of you. You can just play a note. Would someone from the church please call me? Love to pray with you and talk with you more about it. For the rest of us, uh, please take that prayer card and fill out a prayer request, anything you might want to uh, have prayed for through this week, really the next two weeks. Um, we'll have these cards out every single morning. We'll pray for every single one of these requests by name. Um, the people who are praying for you, they may put a note on it. You'll actually get it back. If, we, we, if you're a member of Fullness, a regular attender of Fullness, we'll, we can get it back to you. And if you'd like for us to get it back, if you're a guest today, just put your address on something and we'll find you. We're going to uh, receive an offering. So what's going to happen is we're going to sing a song. 